Welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast, where we bring Sunday home. Join us as we dive deeper into First Baptist's weekly sermons, discuss practical applications, and answer your questions. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Sunday podcast. I'm Jordan Upton, and with me as always is Pastor Jeff Reynolds. Jeff, how are you doing today? Man, I'm great. I'm a little chilly because on the floor where we are doing this recording, they are currently working on our Time Is Now project and replacing all of our um, heating units and cooling units. And uh, so it's a little chilly in here right now. But other than that, doing well, brother. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I enjoy telling people that we have a cool working environment. So. <laughs> it's very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I appreciate about you, Jordan. You you get the dad jokes, man. Oh, I mean, yeah. It's like you got two boys at the house. I mean, you're rolling. That's It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, I was proleptically telling dad jokes. Before I was a father, I was telling dad jokes. <laughs> yes, you were. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Very nice. Yeah. Um, well, and Jeff, I was going to tell you about a devotional book that uh, my wife Taylor and I are reading. Yeah. Yeah. So it's called The Business of Heaven. And it's it's just collected daily little readings from C.S. Lewis for each day of the year. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, we've been getting a lot out of it. Each one is really, really, you know, you would think that, you know, like reading a paragraph wouldn't be that much. But each sure. one has a, a neat little, we've talked about just about each one. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome. I, I haven't heard of that, but I'll tell you, I'm a big C.S. Lewis fan. And, and what's funny is C.S. Lewis is so multifaceted. There are yeah. people who understand one aspect of C.S. Lewis's life and ministry and writings, and they don't even realize there's another aspect. So like those who love mere Christianity and, and, and you know those radio broadcasts that became this incredible book during World War II might not have any idea that he also dabbled in fiction mm-hmm. a little bit, but it was um, it was gospel driven fiction. And so, what's the what's the series, Jordan? Yeah, it's called The Business of Heaven. It's, it's just a book, uh, and I'll link it in the show notes. The, the on Amazon, it was like fourteen bucks. So. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, speaking of the gospel, we're we're talking about Stephen today. Stephen, yeah. So on Sunday, uh, Jeff's sermon was about Stephen. Uh, If you have not listened to it, I would encourage going back and listening to it. It's going to be really helpful for understanding what we're going to talk about today. Um, So the passage we read was Acts 6 through 7. It's a lengthy, lengthy passage. Um, Again, read that passage, listen to Jeff's sermon, and you'll get a lot more out of today's episode. So Jeff, recently we've talked about how Paul will refer to Gentiles writ large in his letters as Greeks. Right. Yeah, but that's going to be a little bit confusing here where we are in Acts. Um, So here in Acts 6, we read about Hellenists and Hebrews, but we're we're still just talking about Jews with these two groups. Right. But then separately, there are Greeks, but then separately, you know, sometimes the Hellenists could be called Greeks, even though they're Jews. So can you kind of like, just break down, who are these different groups and how should we think about them moving forward in Acts. So so specifically in Acts chapter 6 you're dealing with Jewish people. Hellenists and Hebrews are all they're all Jewish people. Um, the Hebrews would be those who are native to Jerusalem and that and that particular area of the world. They would speak Hebrew and they would speak Aramaic um, and they would be native to Judea, what we would call Judea. Um, the Hellenists were Jews who stemmed from the various exiles that had happened, uh, the diaspora, just being sent out 
from Judea, sent out from what we, uh, what Rome called Palestinia, um, to different parts of the world. But they were nevertheless Jewish people. They came from a Jewish heritage. Uh, they had a Jewish lineage. They just spoke a different language. And so a lot of scholars believe that the the chief driver of this conflict between the Hellenists and the, the Hebraic Jews during this time was a language barrier, that they just they didn't speak the same language. And um, having been to the Holy Land, and, and, and it was really pretty remarkable, the number of people who were not just like bilingual, they were multilingual. Mm-hmm. So our bus driver, for example, was an Arabic individual who spoke Arabic, but also spoke Hebrew and would interchange in between those two. Um, our guide, uh, and well, obviously our bus driver also spoke English, um, but our guide um, spoke Hebrew principally, but also spoke very good English, but also spoke Arabic and could go in between all three of those. And so it's really remarkable. But what you're having here is a language barrier where the Hellenistic uh, Jews' widows are being neglected in the daily distribution of food for the widows. And a lot of scholars just believe that there was nothing um, nothing sinful about that, nothing that was in any way discriminatory intentionally about that. It was just a language barrier and a cultural barrier. And so they're trying to overcome kind of growing pains within the early church that are really just a part of organizational leadership. And I'm going to tell you, it doesn't matter what organization you're a part of. If there are people grouped together, you will have problems that you have to overcome. That's just part of the human experience. And so, um, They were seeking to solve a legitimate organizational issue because they wanted to make sure that all of the widows, regardless of their background or regardless of their uh, language, received their des- the, the daily distribution. Now, the Greeks, when when in John's gospel, some Greeks wanted to meet Jesus. Um, you know, in large part, those are Gentiles who might have been referred to as God-fearers. So um, even during Old Testament times, there were Gentiles who wanted to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were willing to become Jewish, who were willing to, uh, if they were male, undergo circumcision and, and uh, envelop themselves within the community of Judaism and worshiping uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, and so when the Greeks came to the festival in John chapter 12, for example, and we discussed that on this podcast, mm-hmm. you know, these were not Gentile Christians because Christians didn't exist at the time, but they were curious about Jesus. And so these were God-fearers who were coming to Jerusalem for the Jewish festival, but they also wanted to know about Jesus. So a lot of times when you hear uh, the Apostle Paul talking about Greeks, uh, he is talking specifically about Gentiles. That's not the case in Acts chapter 6. I'd also heard that it was a language problem chiefly. And yeah. it, it makes sense because, you know, you read about the apostles in Acts 2, and they're speaking all of these different languages, but that's probably more of like a one-time event, correct? Yeah, I, I don't think that the, 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 the phenomenon of the Spirit giving these languages at Pentecost was ongoing. Mm-hmm. So it could be that you have people who legitimately are coming from various places all around the world, uh, and they're coming together, uh, but they don't even speak the same language. And I'll tell you, having been on mission trips in various places, I'll never forget this was the most amazing thing in the world. So uh, on my first international mission trip, I met 
um, a gentleman from Iran. And the only places I'd really interacted with Iranian people was watching the news Mm -hmm. and, you know, growing up during um, understanding what had happened with the hostages in 1979 and then growing up during the era of of the Gulf War, Desert Shield, which then became Desert Storm. And, of course, that was Iraq, but Iraq's right there alongside Iran and the Ayatollahs and all that kind of stuff. And so I'd really never interacted with anybody from Iran. And the first individual that I met was from Iran, and he's speaking Persian. And it's like, oh, my goodness, you know, this is weird. Um, But he knew one English word, and that was brother. Hmm. And he called me brother. And we were brothers in Christ. And that that cut through all the things that might separate us. And we instantly had unity. Uh, I had the same experience. I was in an apartment with a bunch of, of Pakistani folks and just beautiful. Um, some of them were Christians. Others were Muslim. And we were there um, getting to visit with them. And they were preparing food for us. And... Um, there was a language barrier, but but we actually had a Bible study during that time, and we had a, a moment of worship, and they had this this coffee table that I know they dug out of a dumpster somewhere, um, but that coffee table, which would hold our food, uh, was a drum. It was the only instrument that we had during worship, and it was the most beautiful thing. And and really, there was a profound language barrier. But when they were singing, uh, I understood the name of Jesus, and I there was this heart level communication that was happening. It was just beautiful. So you know that still happens today when when we cross linguistic barriers, when we cross cultural barriers, we remember that we are united in Jesus Christ. And though we may be from different backgrounds, we may speak different languages, we may come from different cultures, different ethnicities and things of that nature, we are united in Christ. And that unity is greater than anything that might divide us. Amen. So Luke gives an incredible description of Stephen and of all the things that he's saying. And Stephen gets into trouble with some of the authorities who then make up false charges against him and bring him in in front of a court in the temple. And so he has to present this defense before a Jewish court. Um, it's, it's most of Acts 7 is giving his defense and it's a very long detailed defense. And Jeff, you read the whole thing and it's, I mean, I, I listened to the the whole thing again this morning and I was just like, oh my gosh, like every time you listen to it, you just get little different little points from it. I love it. I love this message. I mean, it is, it is, it is worth reading in its entirety, and uh, I had a few people come up to me after the service and say, when you said you were going to read all that, I didn't. I thought, we'll never get out of here. <laughs> and, and, and ultimately, you know, I wanted to read the entire thing because it's just so good, and it is such a wonderful and succinct, really, biblical history of how God moved from calling Abraham and all the way through Moses and, and, and even on to David and Solomon. Um, Stephen, as he's carried along by the Holy Spirit, does a phenomenal job of delivering this incredible history. That If you're in Christ, it's our history. Um, we have been grafted into that, that tree, that, that great history that is Judaism. And Father Abraham is our father too, and we are grateful. And so um, I love it. But yeah, so it's, it's, it's every time I read it, I catch something new and uh, I share that experience with you. Yeah. Well, so what is Stephen trying to 
say, you know, it. he gives this history of Israel and, you know, its development and growth until that point. But, you know, they don't need the history lesson. Like, the people he's talking to know that story. Like, what is the argument that he's trying to make by giving this particular telling of the history? Well, notice what his accusers say. They say, this is in chapter 6, and this is verse 13, second half. The false witnesses said, This man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. So essentially they're saying, one, he's going to destroy the temple. Jesus will destroy the temple. Sounds very familiar Mm -hmm. to a charge they brought against Jesus when they were falsely accusing him. And so... Stephen is following after Jesus. He's facing the same accusation. Jesus had said, if they hated me, they'll hate you too. Wow, we're seeing it happen. But they are charging him in saying that he's trying to change what Moses gave us. And and essentially the argument that Stephen is making is, y'all didn't listen to Moses either. Go back and, and look at the history of Exodus and Numbers and, and Deuteronomy. Coming out of the wilderness... How many times did the people want to go back to Egypt? How many times did the people grumble against Moses? I say, you listen, you're saying I'm trying to refute Moses. Y'all didn't listen to Moses either. So once again, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you all through a human emissary, just as he spoke to you through Moses, and you're, you're, you're rejecting him. You're rejecting Jesus. You're rejecting me. As I'm sharing the message of Almighty God that goes back to Abraham through Moses, through David and Solomon, to Jesus, you're rejecting God yet again. So so I would say that's the central point of his message. You guys always reject God. Your ancestors reject God. And, And Stephen is just very straightforwardly saying, look, this is what it is. So when are you going to start listening to what God is saying? When are you going to start obeying what God is calling you to obey? Um, so, so to me, that's the, that's the primary point that he's making. He says, you stiff-necked people. Well, who else, who else says that about this people? Yeah, Moses. Moses said this about this people. And so you also see through Moses, I mean, you can remember Moses saying, God, Cut me off and and bring them in. You know he he had such love for this people that were driving him crazy. I mean, I, if I had been Moses, how many times would I have quit? Oh my goodness! But he still had this deep love. Would that they were included and I were excluded. Blot me out of your book as well if they can't come. And what does Stephen say? Even as they are stoning him. Don't hold this against them. So so what are you seeing? You're seeing Stephen be faithful unto death to the message of Almighty God regarding Jesus Christ, who is God's Messiah, and nevertheless looking with compassion upon the people who are turning against God and against him. And Moses did the same thing. It's very interesting, some of the parallels that are there. Yeah, and Stephen artfully ties it into Moses, like you're saying. This morning, I picked it up that he's tying it into Joseph. I mean, I know that he told the story of Joseph succinctly, but he also specifically mentions that Joseph was revealed to the brothers on the second visit in Egypt, which, you know, brings in, you know, that it's going to be the second coming when all things are going to be made clear to Jew and Gentile around the world. Yeah. Um, And it's, you know, it's there. It's like, you know, 
he's he's saying all of these things and there's just boom 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 things that are just he's saying these things so succinctly and so quickly that you know it's easy to get lost in them when you just go through the whole thing but when you look at them point by point like he really is making a very detailed and intricate argument that his specific audience in that time would have understood the meaning of. Oh my goodness. Well, and we talked about how lengthy this passage is, but really Stephen's covering 2000 years yeah. of history yeah. in what in my Bible is, you know, a page and a half. Yeah. So that's pretty impressive. And and again, obviously he's inspired by the Holy Spirit as he as he is giving this speech, but it is so succinct and yet it is so just rapid fire as you just said rapid fire of heavy truth that would have hit them in a way that that had to be if not compelling at least profoundly interesting you know um i wonder uh, and to my knowledge there's no history of this but i wonder if those who were there and heard stephen this day um if they ever got to go back and read Luke's account of what Stephen said and remember and say, wow, this is incredible, um, because it really is incredible. Well, and speaking of Stephen's summary of the Old Testament, that'll take us into today's practical application question. So there are a lot of times in the New Testament, like here with Stephen, when someone quotes the Old Testament, but the, the quote's just a little bit off. It's not a direct quote. Um, sometimes when I look at my stu- study Bible, it has footnotes in, in these places that say LXX. Yeah. Okay, so specifically, what does that mean? And why wouldn't Old Testament references always be exact quotes in the New Testament? Yeah, so what is the LXX? Well, the LXX, uh, that is the Roman numeral for 70, because there were 70 translators who translated what we call the Septuagint. So the Septuagint is a Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And the Septuagint was already around when Jesus came. Septuagint was already around uh, at the time when everything is unfolding in Acts. And so what's interesting is, uh, obviously, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. Um, Principally, I think there's some Aramaic even in the Old Testament. the New Testament was written in Greek, and it has some Aramaic in it as well. Um, but what you have in the Septuagint is the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures. And so what you're going to have is you're going to have slight differences in the wording. You're going to have um, some things that are that are translated in the translation and that are, in some cases, transitioned in the translation. If you think about our English Bibles and the various versions that we have. You know, I prefer the English Standard Version. Um, Big fan of the English Standard Version. I think they do a masterful job um, at sticking to the original language uh, in a way that is readable. And, And I say that because both Hebrew and Greek, and obviously Aramaic as well, have different syntax and structure than English has. So they rely, and, and, and many foreign languages that are foreign to us um, do this today, instead of word order being as important, it's the, the individual conjugation of the word itself that matters, that tells you, oh, this is the verb, this is the subject, this is the object, this is what is happening. And so when you read Hebrew and English, or when you read Hebrew and Greek, the word order can be 
way out of left field from our perspective. And yet they know exactly what they're saying because it's the conjugation of the individual words that describe the action of the sentence. Whereas in English, we're used to subject, predicate, you know, noun, verb, object. And we rely on word order a lot more uh, than they did. And so when we look at our English Bibles, there is transition in that word order so that we can understand it. Different Bibles are translated with different philosophies. So if you look at the New American Standard Bible, for example, they're going to stick very closely to the original language and even mimic some of the word order of the original language. King James Version is very similar to that. Mm -hmm. And honestly, they're harder to read in today's English. Um, Then you have kind of a a phrase-for-phrase sort of translation. This would be the New International Version, where it's an idiomatic translation where they're not trying to translate word-for-word necessarily, and they're not trying to maintain word order. They're translating phrase-for-phrase. So the New International Version was written to be more readable to today's English speakers. Then you have a third category, and that's just paraphrase. So the the paraphrases that everybody seems to be familiar with would be the New Living Translation, for example. So the Living Bible into the New Living Translation, straight up paraphrase. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Message, Mm -hmm. straight up paraphrase. That's why Eugene Peterson is listed as as the author of the message. You say, how can the Bible have a human author who's not, (laughs) you know, biblical? Um, And the reason is, the message is so much paraphrased that the more paraphrase that you have, the more interpretation you have to give. So the translators interpreted the New Living Translation in their translation much more than the ESV translators did, much more than the New American Standard translators did, much more than the King James Version translators did. But even then, when we think about our English Bibles, you know, the, the, the Old Testament, for example, what is used as the original text for the Old Testament in our English Bibles today in the ESV, for example, is, is the Masoretic text. Well, there were different manuscripts during this time that had slight differences. So, you know, scholars have looked, what is the most reliable manuscript? Uh, The same is true with the New Testament. And so that's where you get some of these differences. So when you go all the way back, and all this is to go all the way back to the translation of the Hebrew Scriptures into the Septuagint more than 2,000 years ago, Um, what you have is these 70 translators who are translating from Hebrew into Greek. And so you do have some things that are transitioned in translation. Um, And the New Testament sometimes quotes the Septuagint. And, and I mean, that would be like me saying, well, we're reading the ESV, but I'm quoting the New American Standard here. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's it's still um, trustworthy, but it's um, it's a different way of coming at it. Yeah, yeah. And just a little a cool thing on that, when Stephen is talking, at one point he references that there were 75 souls that go into Egypt with his family. But if you go into the Hebrew and the Masoretic, it says there were 70. So mm-hmm. there's a difference of five. But he says that because he's he's Greek speaking. He's he's a Hellenist Jew, so he's quoting the Septuagint, which says there are seventy five. Yeah, and the difference being most likely 
because it's counting Joseph's children, whereas the Hebrew did not count Joseph's children in that count of 70 or 75. Yeah. Easy, just, you know, easy difference that's just, you know, reflected in the different translations of the text. Not an error, yeah, but a difference. That's that's very interesting. And, yeah. and obviously you just explained the difference. And so that's an important thing, you know, just kind of as a free addition to today's podcast, when you, when you come to scripture and it looks like there is a contradiction or some sort of error there, dig a little deeper. There's usually an answer that makes perfect sense. Uh, just as the answer you just gave. So, Amen. And listeners, if you ever come across one of those, we want to hear about it. We yes. want to address those on the podcast. So if you have a question about translations or something like that, or just anything else in your walk with Christ, just go to the link in the show notes or comment on the post below. Incidentally, I love talking about Bible translations. <laughs> because, I mean, I still listen, and if you're a listener and you're sending me this stuff, just stop. Um, <laughs> but I, I'll get letters from people saying, you know, I can't believe you don't preach out of the King James Version of the Bible. Um, and, and there's almost this pervasive belief that, well, the King James was good enough for Jesus and Paul. It's good enough for me. Well, Jesus and Paul didn't have a King James. King James was was translated in 1611, so it, it's, it's really not that old. Um, but it's a very interesting conversation to talk about the difference between formal equivalence translation to dynamic equivalence translation to straight paraphrase. Uh, I've given entire seminars on this. So if you have specific questions, you just let us know because I love to geek out talking about um, scripture translations. Absolutely. Well, can you pray us out for today? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you that your word is true. And we thank you that you gave us your word in Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek. And yet in 2024, we can open up our English Bibles and we can know that it is trustworthy and true. And the same is true when we open up our Spanish Bibles or our French Bibles or our, you know, whatever language the Bible's been translated into. And I thank you that you have given men and women the ability to translate. And even now, men and women are learning new languages to get your word into the heart languages of people to the ends of the earth. Lord, it's beautiful to me that you care so much about communicating to us, that you give us your word in our language. Help us not to neglect the reading of your word. Help us not to neglect growing as a result of reading your word. And help us, like Stephen, be able to tell the story of your word. It is one unified story, all of it, magnifying Jesus Christ as Lord. And so, Lord, we worship you. And we pray that we would be more like you all week long. We ask your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to our channel. To submit a question about Sunday's sermon, the Bible, or walking with Jesus, click the link in the episode description. Our hosts today are Pastor Jeff Reynolds and myself, Jordan Upton. Our engineer is Elliot Beckley, and our editors are Chadwick Walden and Fuying Ying Engdahl.